Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Written in the late 1600s, The Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life, following the main character, Christian, on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. More than any other work in the history of the church, The Pilgrim's Progress captures both the struggles and joys of living the Christian life in a way that is not only accurate, but enjoyable to read. So prepare yourself for an epic adventure as we embark on The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Hello again and welcome back to the Ardent Archives. We are busy discussing The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Drew Bieber, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Josh McDaniel. In our last discussion, we looked at some of the the struggles of the path, some of the the difficulties, the obstacles that that Christian faith uh, that Christian uh, dealt with as he made his pilgrimage, as he uh, walked in faith uh, through uh, this world, and and in this discussion, we're going to be looking at some of the the joys of the path. Um, what are the the uh, joys that accompany? Uh, the Christian faith that accompany walking with um, walking with Christ. And so as we jump into this discussion, obviously one of the first and the most notable uh, joys that we see uh, Christian uh, experience in this book is the fact that he has his burden removed from yes. him. Yes. And I would argue that this is, uh, you know, one of the most notable joys of the Christian faith is that it is only through the Christian faith, it is only through encountering Christ that we can truly have our sins dealt with. Right. Um, there's really no other uh, system of religion, uh, no other philosophy, or no other, uh, really no other anything that can truly deal with our sin. Right. Save for the cross of Jesus Jesus Christ. Right. And 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 Bunyan does a really good job, particularly when we, uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, he tries to kind of point out that, hey, other people are trying to get this burden gone. Other people yeah. try to have it removed through uh, morality or civility or, you know, all these different kinds of things. They try to maybe do it on their own, yeah. whatever it is, but their burden has not been released. Their sin has not been forgiven. They are still under the weight and under the wrath of God. And if they die in that sin, there will be no hope for them at the celestial city. Right. And we see that in a dramatic way with ignorance. You know, you, you see that, that Christian his burden is removed because he goes through the cross of Christ. Yeah. Ignorance does not go through the cross of Christ and ignorance is not able to enter the celestial city. Right. Right. And, you know, prior to a Christian coming to the cross, he does uh, get to go to the, the house of the interpreter. Yeah. And we've already referenced the, the interpreter, um, in a previous discussion, but I think we would both agree that the interpreter in, in Bunyan's allegory represents the, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's, I think that's, it's one of the only ones that's in the allegory. He is named and it is, he is appropriately, yes. perfectly named, but it's not quite as on the nose right, as someone right. like hopeful or someone like faithful. He is not named spirit. Or he is not named Holy Ghost, you know, or he's not named anything like that. He's named Interpreter. And I think that that is important because it helps us understand the role of the Spirit, in particular, 
what this interpreter does is he points him to sections of the scripture right, right. that Christian would have no idea what that portion of scripture would mean had it not been for the interpreter. Yes. And I think that's that's important to point out is that uh, in Christian's journey, he is introduced to God's word. He's introduced to the law. He's brought un- under conviction of sin. He meets evangelists and is presented the gospel and is told, if you want your sin to be dealt with, you must you must uh, uh, you must go this direction. You must go to the cross. But it's not until it's not until he goes to the house of the interpreter that he actually makes it to the cross. Yeah, he he, he doesn't he doesn't really know what he's doing. Right. He he doesn't he's goes through the the he goes to the swamp. He gets stuck there. He knows that he's been put on the right path, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know really what is all this. Right. And the interpreter has in in the interpreter's house is one of my favorite teachings in this book yeah. because it so clearly lays out. What is going on here? And you see, like we discussed back in our second, um, our second session or our second uh, of the podcasts here, when we come to the burden, and when you come to Romans chapter seven, and when you come to Galatians chapter three, you see that the law of God, and you see that. Um, the standard of God points us to our burden, but it can do nothing to release our burden. Right, right. And in the interpreter's house, you get this really dramatic sense. It's, I think the first time you come to the the word gospel, it's the first time you really come to the acknowledgement of the gospel in this story. But he walks into a room, and there's it's full of dust, and it's full of just filth and 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 there's a person who is told to sweep the room yeah. and as that person sweeps the room the dust is not swept up but the dust is agitated and it 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 stirs up and it 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 chokes out the air so that Christian himself feels like he's choking out right right and then the same person comes up sprays water in the air and of course the water binds to the dust, the dust settles, and then when the law or when the when the broom sweeps again, because it has been watered down, it is able to sweep up the dust. Right, he without says, without contaminating the air. Right. In that and same he, way. he says, What is this? And they said, The law is the broom. It has awakened this dust that needs to be cleaned out. You are aware of it. You are choked out by it. Yeah. But the gospel is the water that cleanses your soul so that when you do apply the law to your life after the gospel, all of it it can be be swept out. Yeah, Yeah, it can be dealt with. And and I love that illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations that I've ever heard of the law and the gospel and the way they work together. And it's a brilliant way of doing it. Not only does he do that there, he also talks about end times things. You also see a man who is caged and you see yeah. a lot of dramatic illustrations. Yeah. There's one other illustration that, that, that I do want to mention. Uh, and, and I'll just kind of uh, quote from the book. Uh, he says, then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where a fire was burning against a wall. Oh yeah. Someone yeah. was standing by the fire, continually throwing great amounts of water upon it, attempting yeah. to quench it. Yet the fire burned brighter and hotter. Then Christian asked, what does this mean? And the interpreter answered, the fire is the work of grace, which is operating in the heart. The one who casts water upon it, desiring to extinguish it and put it out 
is the devil. Now I will show you the reason why the fire burns higher and hotter in spite of the devil's efforts. So the interpreter took Christian around the backside of the wall and there was, he saw a man with a jar of oil in his hand, which he continually, but secretly cast into the fire. Hmm. Then Christian questioned, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. By this means, notwithstanding all that the devil can do, the souls of his people are graciously preserved. And again, we see so many illustrations in the house of the interpreter, but really the one you mentioned with uh, the dust and, and the water and, and this illustration of, of the fire, I think yeah. are, are just so helpful in understanding. Okay. Like you said, how does the law interact with a person's life and how does the gospel interact with a person's life? But then here, how does the grace of salvation actually work in a person's life? Yeah. And, and even though they meet with struggle, how, how is it that the grace of salvation can can continue right. and can persist despite uh, despite all these all these struggles? You know, and we see that uh, in this illustration, right in this example of of the fire, that that it's Christ who is continuing to stoke that fire, who is continuing to allow that fire to burn despite uh, the devil's attempt to to quench it and, out. And it foreshadows what faithful goes through in Vanity Fair. Yes, that their persecution that they throw against him, trying to extinguish his flames, only builds it up. Right. And makes it grow hotter and higher, and uh, and so it foreshadows that that reality there. But Christian still has his burden on him when he goes into the right. interpreter's house, and it's so amazing how right after, I mean, the very next chapter after he leaves the interpreter's house, after the scripture has been unveiled to him and his eyes are opened, he is able to see the next chapter for what it is. He's able right. to see the cross for what it is. After he has seen that there's nothing you can do about it, after it's been confirmed to him, not only by evangelists, not only by his own experiences, by help, by all these different people, when it's awakened to him by the Spirit, yes, he immediately turns to the cross. Well, and this immediately uh, goes back to uh, a reality that we've already mentioned, that salvation is is a monergistic work of God. Right. And evangelists could not save Christian. None of the people that Christian met up until this point could save him. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit did this work, the interpreter did this work in Christian that right. he was able to to go to the cross and he, he saw had already cross, he had yeah. already he had already come under the conviction of his sin he already right. knew that he was a sinner and that his sin needed to be dealt to be dealt with he already knew that there was a way to get rid of mm-hmm. his sin but it wasn't until the interpreter applied these things applied this knowledge in christian's life that he was able to finally uh go to the cross of christ yeah and he saw it for what it was yeah and he he recognized his great need in a way that he had not before right and right. and his burden was removed and it was gone forever and he's clothed in righteousness it's the work of the spirit who kind of sharpens or quickens the heart of man so that he can see Christ as glorious and great right. and the only answer even if even if you know it before even if you have a mental understanding of that before until the Spirit awakens that knowledge, you cannot see the cross of Christ for what it truly is. Right, and uh, and it's a it's a brilliant and a wonderful thing that that Bunyan puts it there because it really is it's a it's a boom boom. You get the interpreter's house, and then immediately after, all right, his eyes have been opened. Now let me show him what his eyes are meant to yeah. see. Yeah, 
and uh, and 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 we see Christ as as glorious, right? And uh, you know, one of the you know after the house of the interpreter, and obviously the the cross where Christians' sin is is dealt with, um, and he has made a new creation. One of the other uh, joys we see on the path, uh, the, the first one we see after um, after Christian is saved is at the Palace Beautiful. Yeah, and I think what we'll notice throughout the all of the joys that we're going to discuss is that they are all representations of of the Christian community, namely, yeah. n- namely how God has uh, chosen to minister to his people through the local church, through right. the local gathering. And you can see that evidenced in the fact that, um, that Christian finds rest yeah. in all of these places. Uh, and he got, he finds good rest. You know, I mean, there's the enchanted ground that offers him rest, but it's not a good rest. It's a, it's a slothful rest, you know, that yeah. tries to keep him. But all these places offer him rest and recovery. And, and we understand that's what the church does. Our lives as pilgrims are to be meant as they are meant to be lived as lights in a dark world, in the world, but not of the world. Right. And that's a tough road to walk. And so when we come to the church, it is meant to be a place to where, okay, you've been in the world, but not of the world. You are still we are in this world, but we are closing off the world. We're drawing right, a curtain right. on the world, and what we're going to do here is we are just going to be Christians yeah. for the next time. For the next little bit of time that we're going to be here, we are committing to be Christians and just Christians yeah. in this place. And you know, as we see the church represented in different ways in Bunyan's allegory, I do believe that he, uh, as he's representing the church, he's representing it in in a way uh, that's you know, sort of coincides with Christian's perspective and mm-hmm. specifically his perspective in terms of his maturity as a, as a Christian, yeah. Uh, yeah, the yeah, maturity yeah. of his faith. Um, and so, uh, you know, going back to, to Ken's uh, Pulse's commentary, which you can uh, find links to that in our, our show notes. Um, he, he says this about the palace beautiful. He says the palace represents the church and especially at this point in the story represents the church from the vantage point of a new believer who has not yet matured in faith. As with the house of the interpreter, Christian will gain many advantages and encouragements needed for the journey ahead by lodging here. And so we see that at this point in Christian's journey, he's a he's a new Christian. Yeah, uh, he has not been walking long. We've already seen that he's met some people on the path. He's already uh, uh, climbed the hill difficulty. Yeah. So he's already met with some some struggle and some difficulty. And really, the first place he comes to um, after the cross is is the palace beautiful yeah and here he is ministered to and he is uh i do believe that the the, the porter says uh that this this palace is intended for the rest and for the security of of pilgrims yeah. and that's what we find in the church that the the church is meant to be a, a rest and a security for for christians it's yeah. where they can come to be equipped they can come to be fed they can come to be sustained yeah and and uh, obviously this is not to sort of elevate uh, the, the church as a body over over the work that God does, right? Um, and we would not say that the, it, it's the church that does these things, but it is God through His church. This is how mm-hmm. God has determined to minister to His right. pilgrims. Uh, you know, I've already mentioned uh, you know that quote from Bonson where where he said that you know God has determined to pull out from His sheep those who would care for His sheep. Yeah, and God has determined to use His people to care for His people. That's just that's just in the. And the beauty of God's design, that's how he's decided to do right, it. Right, right. And so we see that the church is a vital part of the the Christian faith. 
And I also want to mention something that that I found in, in Ken's commentary, because we do see that uh, in the palace, beautiful Christian is ministered to. He is met. He is he is able to rest. He is able to to be comforted. Um, but before he leaves, he's taken through an armory. Yeah. Yeah. And here's what Ken had to say about about this armory. armory. He says the presence of the armory at Palace Beautiful highlights this important reality. Living the Christian life is a battle. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to what we've already mentioned, the, you know, we're not promised a bed of roses. We're not promised a rose garden uh, uh, in the Christian life. We're, the call of the gospel is a call to come and die, to come take up your cross mm-hmm. and to follow me. And and we need to recognize that that is that is our purpose in mm-hmm. this life. It, yeah. it is, is to do battle against the the rulers and the principalities of this world to do battle with our sin, um, and if we're not equipped for that, we're going to to struggle greatly. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't have a chance. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and that is one of the the roles of the church is is we are called to equip the saints. Yes, that that they are to come, they are to find rest, and not only are they are to find rest. But they are to find fellowship and rejoicing yeah. around the Word of God. The Word of God has to be central and and around the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ has to be promoted and it has to be taught. And so all of these things inform us that that as he goes to the palace and as he walks through this armory, he gets equipped yes. by a church. Now now you know we can push that allegory too far, and we can say, "Well, the church is the one that hands out the the teaching, or the church is the one that gives the breastplate of righteousness, or the the feet, you know, uh, with the truth, you know, the gospel of truth." Right, no, no, no. Right. That's 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 still the work of the Spirit. Understand that the interpreter has still awakened his eyes. The interp- you know, there. So we can push that allegory too far, but what we have to understand is that. When they, when he goes to the palace, when he walks through the armory, when he is equipped, he is given, he is given clearly things that are taught from the scriptures, particularly right, Ephesians right. chapter six, and we understand that he is given things that are a direct tie to the book, to yes. the Bible, and so what is the point of the church? I think we can say it's not to. It's not to give righteousness or it's not to give truth, but it's to open up and to explain this truth, to explain this gospel, to explain this righteousness, to find rest as we rejoice in these things that are true and as we find commonality. And so he walks this armory and he walks out prepared for battle. Yeah. And I do think this is uh, this points to a. An important thing that that I, th- I think it would be worthwhile to discuss, uh, you know, I can't remember what I was listening to. I know I say that a lot as as we <laughs> engage in these discussions, and if it's not apparent, I do listen to a lot of sermons, a lot right. of podcasts, a lot of uh, you know lectures, and all this kind of stuff. I just my wife will tell you I I always have an earbud in my ear and I'm always listening to something. I have too many podcasts I'm listening to. I'm subscribed to too many. I have too many I haven't listened to today that I have and to get to at some point because I'm going to be that feed is going to be filled with new ones tomorrow. That's right, but. I can't remember what I was listening to, and he was talking about uh, the way that that we view the church. And one of the things he asked, he says, is do you view your church as a bunker or as an armory? He, yeah. said, he said, a bunker is where you go to escape attack, mm-hmm. right? A bunker is where you go, is, is what you climb into when uh, you're being attacked and you're trying to, to, to be safe from the attack. He said, mm-hmm. whereas an armory is where you go 
to get equipped to do battle. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the intention is not to stay in the armory. The, the intention is to gather what you need and to go out of the armory. Right. Although the armory think, is a safe place. Yeah. The armory is a place where you're not going to be attacked right there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a place where you can find rest for the moment, but it's not. Well, and I do think that, that, you know, again, you can kind of stretch out these analogies yeah. too far. I do think that it's both. I do think yeah. that the church serves Christians. It serves pilgrims in, like he, the porter said, it's for rest and for security. Yeah. But there's also a true reality that it's it's also intended to be an armory. Mm-hmm. We're intended to be equipped so we can go out and we can do battle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because it's shortly after he leaves the palace, palace beautiful that he encounters Apollyon. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is that if we, if we are simply, uh, uh, as, as churches, as leaders, as pastors, if we're only comforting people, if we're not equipping them to, to engage this world, if we're not equipping them for the struggles that lie ahead, uh, in their own uh, mm-hmm. pilgrimage, then, then we're missing a, 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 really a vital aspect of what it means to be a church. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, another representation we see of of the church is in the Delectable Mountains. Yeah. And this one was a little, in my opinion, this one was a little more obvious. Um, yeah. It, you know, it is. He's, he gets to the Delectable Mountains and he meets shepherds. Yeah. And the shepherds, you know, tell uh, Christian and hopeful that, you know, these hills belong to, you know, the Lord. Yeah. And these are his sheep and we are shepherds who care for his sheep. And so I don't I don't understand how it could be any more obvious right, they, right? They what, even, what he's kind of getting at they even take him you know and and they let him look through a uh, a glass a, a, a kind of a, a spy glass so what they say you see there it is yeah there's the gate and again going back to to ken's commentary uh here's what he had to say about the delectable mountains he says the delectable mountains represent the church from the vantage point of a more mature christian atop these mountains the pilgrims have a wider view and can see with more clarity their understanding of God's word is greater. Heaven is in view. The world is less alluring. Uh, earlier in this allegory, Christian had a glimpse of these mountains from the observation point on the roof of the Palace Beautiful. There he could only see the mountains far off in the distance. Palace Beautiful depicted the church through the eyes of a young believer. Christian loved the truth, but had not yet uh, had yet to ascend to its highest. Now, now, at this point, Christian and Hopeful are nearer to their journey's end. Their faith has grown. Their repentance has deepened. And their love for Christ has been strengthened. Right. Um, and again, we just we see this because they, they go to the Delectable Mountains shortly after. Actually, I think it's right after they escape uh down in Castle, they John they uh, yeah, it's really it's really soon afterward uh, that they that they get they get there, and it's, I mean, they've come through they've come through a lot by yeah. the time they get there. They need the rest, and again, again, that is an indicator. If you are a believer, you're in the world and not of the world. You're yes. light to this dark world, and we know that the world. If you're in it, but you're not a part of it, I mean, Vanity Fair, they'll kill you. You know, right? They'll right. be attacking you. Apollyon's coming. You know, those kinds of things, and so they've been through the uh, the grinder by the time they get to the Delectable Mountains. Yeah. They need a rest. They need a time where they can just fellowship with people who love the king yeah. like they do. And I think it's important to to say that, you know, again, we've kind of teased this out already that it's not it's not the church itself, but it's God's work through the right. church. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I think the proper way to frame that is that the church is God's ordained means of grace. Right. right? right. Um, God uh, intends as the good shepherd, as the, you know, capital S shepherd, he cares for his sheep and he has, uh, you know, ordained 
uh, under shepherds uh, to also care for yeah. his sheep. Yeah, And it's not that without pastors that God's sheep wouldn't be fed. Well, God is God, and he can right. kind of do whatever he wants. Yet in his His sovereign providence, he's determined that the way I'm going to minister to my people is through the church, right. is through uh, my uh, under shepherds, those who I'm, whom I'm going to call to, to care for, yeah. for my sheep. And so, you know, like I said, we don't want to elevate the church to a, a status that it's it doesn't hold that only God holds. Right. God, God is the one who ministers to us. It's his word that, that speaks to us. It's his word that equips us. It's his word that comforts us. And yet God has determined to, to give us that through his church. Yeah. He's brought us into that process. Yeah. And, and, and we can only be humbled by that, you know, and, and certainly when you read in the delectable mountains, those shepherds, man, yeah. they are humble. They are, they, there is, you know, they, they've been there on those delectable mountains. They've seen the glories of, of what it's going to be like in the celestial city. And they're not prideful at all about it. They are recognizing, Hey, we're, we're shepherds. Yeah. We're a part of God's strategy, but we are not God's strategy. Right. Absolutely. God through his son is the strategy. And I'll say, you know, as, um, you know, someone who's a, a, a new pastor, and I'm sure you could you could speak to this a, as well. You know, this was one of the humbling things about about reading these sections of the book mm-hmm. is really seeing that wow, uh, when it comes to this, uh, you know, we are all we are all Christians on a, on a pilgrimage, and yet God has has called you and I as pastors yeah. to to serve uh, in a particular way in other people's stories. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we we get to be shepherds of, of God's people and we get to minister in that way. And it was just such a kind of a, a humbling realization that, wow, I, you know, this is, you know, when he's when Bunyan's writing about these shepherds, like he's talking about pastors yeah. and, and in a way like he's talking about me yeah. as, as a young pastor. And, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm very new as as a pastor, obviously, you know, I have not been right. a pastor for very long, but. I'm sure you would even say at the same time, you know, you've been a pastor for well, uh, uh, a little been, bit longer. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a little while. <laughs> but but you could you, you would even say as well that, you know, even at this point in, in, in your own journey, that it's humbling to look and to go, wow, I, I get to I get to be a shepherd who who comforts and who ministers to to pilgrims on their journeys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's it, it is 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 a blessing, but it's such a calling as well. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a humbling thing to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and and so the one of the last joys that we see, one of the last representations of the church as well, is in uh, Beulah Land. And I do want to read a section of this chapter because um, I remember as we were recording this and we got to this chapter, as 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 you read this paragraph, it was just so apparent to me that this is the church, yeah. and this is beautiful. What's taking place here? Um, And so back to the book in this land. Also, the contract between bride and bridegroom was renewed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Here, as Mm -hmm. the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so does their God rejoice over them here. They have no lack of grain or wine for in this place. They are met with abundance of what they had sought for and all of their pilgrimage. Here they heard voices from out of the city, loud voices saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him. Here, all of the inhabitants of the country uh, of the country called them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, the sought out ones. And again, it's just such a beautiful picture of what the church is. Yeah. And, and, and what takes place in, in the gathered body on, on Sunday mornings that. This is not simply a 
you know, an event. Right. Uh, It's certainly not intended for our entertainment. But what takes place on Sunday mornings is that our covenant with with God is being renewed. Yeah. We are basically uh, a renewing uh, uh, what God has has done for us. Yeah. And I just love the way he he puts that. The contract between the bride and bridegroom is renewed. Yes, here the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Here they have no lack of grain or wine. And it, man, it just speaks to so much. The fact that what God has done in his church is he's given everything his people need. Yeah. And again, it's not to highlight the competence or the skill or the uh, faithfulness of, of, of the church or of the leadership in that church, but really just to highlight what God has done in, in giving us the church and giving us and giving his people a church. And, and, you know, not that, you know, again, the language is so good and it is so right, but if you tease it out too much, you get to think, well, does that mean that if I miss church on Sunday, if I, if I, if I miss it, that all of a sudden my covenant is not renewed and that my, you know, my standing as the bride for the bridegroom is not there is, is it, it, we're not going into this sort of legalistic or, or weird state that, that says that what we are what we are saying, though, is that, or or a part of what we're saying, is that the reality of the believer is we are in a covenant relationship with Christ. Yes, and that's not going to change ever. And it's it's not based upon us; it's based upon the God who made that covenant, right? Who does right. not change. Well, so, we see, I mean, we see that in the scriptures when when God makes His covenant with Abraham, and He, you know, He He splits. He splits the animals and, and it is God who walks through yes. and he does not require Abraham to walk through. He instead says, I'm going to uphold all sides of this right. covenant. It's going to be, 15, it's going to be yeah. me. And that's, and that's a, that's a type of a foreshadowing of our salvation that, that God is the one who accomplishes salvation for us. It's not, it's not anything we do. We, we don't, we don't uphold any end of this covenant. It's God who does it from, right. from beginning to end. Right. And so going to church, being there on a Sunday, that's not renewing your covenant in the sense that, oh, it was, it was, it had expired. And then we right, gotta go in right. and renew it. You know, that's not that's not the 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 way of it. But rather we come in and we are renewed with our understanding that we have a great and a glorious and magnificent God who will by no means lose any of those that he has drawn out of the world and he has called his own that are his bride. And it's not a renewal in the sense that we're re-signing our end and he's re-signing right, his end. Right, right. It's we not are, like renewing your subscription where right. they say, oh, hey, fill this out if you want to keep sending us your money and you want us to keep sending you whatever. Right, but we are being renewed in our covenant. Yes. We are reminded of our covenant and we are renewed because of it. And yeah. it, it it brings about a freshness and, uh, and, and, and an understanding, again, a reawakening to the greatness of who we're in a covenant with. Right. Um, again, going back to Ken's commentary, he says, he points out that the word Beulah means married. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And the country is a reminder of Christ's love for and his covenant relationship with his church. And later he says, the country of Beulah provides the pilgrims with a more perfect view of their final destination, the celestial city. What Christian and hopeful saw in the distance uh, from a hill called clear in the delectable mountains, they, uh, when they were with the shepherds, now they see in more radiant splendor as we engage uh, and are involved with and continue to be part of the local church body and, and, and God's people, we are, like you said, we, we are being renewed in our covenant, 
a covenant. We are being uh, ministered to. We are being equipped. And more and more and more, we begin to see uh, the spiritual reality, the the uh, sort of sort of you know our faith is being made a, a sight for us in a manner of speaking. Yeah, where, yeah. where we begin to see, okay, I know what it means. I know where I'm headed to, and we with more and more and more clarity, with more where we're able to to, to perceive those things that we're we're, yes. we're heading towards. You know, we haven't spent a lot of time on this, but we've seen places where you find joys in the path, but maybe the most present joy that we we see all along the path is that that Christian never walks alone. Oh yes. And and he's he's never walks alone in the sense that he always has with him this certificate, this reminder of of the promise that's been given to him afforded him through salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He's got this brand on him that is a constant reminder that he is not alone. He is the kings, but he is also given faithful And they walk until they get to Vanity Fair together. And then Faithful is taken home to the celestial city and he gains Hopeful as a a companion. And they walk together. And so it's just a reminder that in these joys along the path, in this pilgrimage, in this Christian life that we live, we're not called to do it alone. And we are blessed to have brothers and sisters come alongside us and say, I will go with you right. for Christ. I will and, follow with you. And one place we meet those brothers and sisters and, and is, is in the church, yeah. which we see represented in, in all of these places. And so not only do we have the camaraderie of brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also have, we also have a, a, not only a representation of, uh, of what heaven is like, uh, but we also are able to live in community with others as we renew our covenant. Uh, every week in in the church. Yeah, and and the great thing about it and and the thing that's so important to recognize is that with every single joy, whether it's the interpreter, whether it's the Palace Beautiful, the Delectable Mountains, Beautiful Land, the companions that go along. I mean, I'm talking about faithful and hopeful evangelists. I'm talking about help. All of these guys, the promise and the joy that they are pointing to is not themselves right never does the palace beautiful say oh look at the joys you have here nor do they do that in delectable mountains notice hopeful do that no the joy that they always point to is there is a light at the end it is the light of the gospel of in that is found in the face of jesus christ We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of the Pilgrim's Progress, and we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive, so we pray that our discussion leads to meaningful conversations with friends and family as you consider what it means to be a pilgrim in this world. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at northclay.org. For more information from North Clay Baptist Church or from the Ardent Archives, visit our website at www.northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives.